Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonders of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's preposterous, often time monstrous, malodorous, toxic, psychotic, sad little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. And as the imbecility of the social body rises to record levels, that becomes more of a challenge each day. But, and it's a big but, we are honor bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. In fact, in your honor, I'm going to have one right now. Excuse me. Oh, that is just lovely. Mm. Yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy. If you're joining us for the first time, I extend a warm welcome. Be advised, however, that this show does not pander to the woke crowd of the world. We don't do politically correct because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We believe in common sense, common courtesy and common decency. Traditional values that, in my opinion, do not need to be improved upon. Martini heads, we are globally aware patriots from all nations, not just America, who understand the importance of soul sovereignty and of national sovereignty. We know the world is controlled by a shadow council, Illuminati establishment or deep state, as we call it nowadays. And we know we are in the midst of a Luciferian New World Order takeover. And if that made you giggle just then, this show is way over your head. So go, go, go and seek solace elsewhere in the bosom of the propagandist's wetness. Go, go, go. This is not for you. For anybody else who has an open mind, hi, are you still there? We martini heads, we know the pandemic is a shamdemic. We know it was created to instill unholy terror into each and every citizen, to freeze us with fear until we submit to the filthy poison death jab they refer to as a vaccination. We know beyond all shadow of a doubt, because we have researched and researched, that depopulation through death jab is their end game. And we are deeply and profoundly concerned about the totalitarian agenda of mass censorship, because this show, 
This show comes to you from America, home of the brave, land of the free, not from a dictatorship out in the boonies somewhere. And yet, the current puppet administration, such as it is, is entirely populated, not by dictators, but by dicks. And we know this because we are free thinkers. And do you know what else we know? We know the correct response to dicks. Here's a little song I wrote while I was in the bathroom the other day. You can stick your filthy death jab up your ass. You can stick your filthy death jab up your ass. You can take your new world notion and your Luciferian potion. You can stick the whole damn thing right up your ass. I'm singing, ay, ay, yippee, we are free. You won't stick your filthy poison inside me. And I know this will offend you because it don't fit your agenda. You can stick the whole damn thing right up your ass. Right up your ass. Because I'll pass. Ah. I feel so much better now. And I'm so glad I got that out of my system. Well, my darlings, welcome to another show. I'd love to tell you that I have a wonderful show planned for you today, but I could be lying because it's been a very busy week and I haven't really prepared much, but I do have notes and they are strewn all over my desk. And I think today we're just going to wing it, you know, and sometimes it works out better that way. So before we get going with the meat of the show, which is quack, questions, answers and comments, let me remind all like-minded freethinkers to join my Telegram chat group, t.me forward slash Annie Mad Shaman Abadician chat. And this is the chat room for martini heads and also for my new group, Freethinkers of America Pie and Prayer Group. First meeting on location will be Tuesday, August the 3rd at 11 a.m. Pacific time at the Willamette Valley Pie Factory in Salem, Oregon. And there is an events page for it on Facebook, assuming I haven't been deplatformed by Facebook before August the 3rd. In short, this is a social support group for like minded people, people who believe in a supreme cosmic intelligence, God, source, cosmos, SpongeBob, insert preferred noun. For people who know there is a shadow government and are aware of the danger it poses to soul sovereignty, national sovereignty, and ultimately planetary sovereignty, in other words, globally aware American patriots. It's for people who realize that the you-know-what was created for nefarious purposes and for people who have both the desire to explore this scenario and the courage to restore America to her sacred purpose. And ultimately, it's for people who enjoy pie. But if you enjoy other pastries, that's fine. And if you're gluten free or pie free, that's fine. We don't care. Just know we're not representative of any one particular party, because if one understands the nature of shadow government, one knows it controls both elephants and donkeys and, you know, hedgehogs, too. Our members belong to many different faith bases because God is too great to fit into any human construct. And in my opinion, if you think you know it all, well, you know, you know nothing. And of course, knowing its true purpose, most members have not and never will accept the thing that rhymes with Francine. Some members, however, became aware of the agenda after receiving the shot 
and are understandably deeply concerned. This group supports those members without personal judgment because we know as well as anyone else, the establishment's perceptual engineering campaign was well-funded and relentless. And please bring a sense of humor because we're never going to get through this without a few laughs. Um, all right. Thank you for listening to that. And let's get on with the show. Let's dive right into quack. <laughs> if you would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this superlative show, email me at arnie at arnieavadissian.com or send me a postcardy thingy via snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714. Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And don't forget to let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I will refer to you as omit personal details. All right, my darlings, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops up. Shaky, shaky. All right. Our first missive of the day comes from... <laughs> It comes from Big Daddy Oversoul. Where do you guys come up with these names? Anyway, Big Daddy Oversoul says, Dear Annie, my neighbors are Wiccans. According to them, once we achieve stability in the lower fourth dimension, we will lose the urge to drink any alcohol. Is this true? Oh, God, I hope not. Um, Big Daddy goes on to say, I have a fully stocked bar and six books on how to make the perfect cocktail. And in case of emergency, I have several cases of good beer in my garage. Should I double up on my drinking, Arnie? Also, should I be concerned about having Wiccans next door? Black magic much? Black magic much? <laughs> question mark. Big question mark. Well, Big Daddy. If they really are Wiccans and not just a bunch of twits playing with pentagrams, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. Wicca is a reworking of the old ways. It's balance and harmony in nature, the Lord and the Lady, honoring all realms of existence. Um, you know, it's that sort of thing. And true Wiccans, they have the Wiccan read and they have the threefold rule. And they do no harm. Contrary to popular belief, witches, male and female witches, are good. People who are thrown out of a coven for doing bad things, they are warlocks. Warlocks are not male witches. A lot of people think that. So, no, if they follow Wicca, generally, as I said, as long as they're not just a bunch of twits, they're doing great. No problem. As for no urge to drink alcohol once we stabilize in the fourth dimension, I'm going to go with a definite no on that one. Because, number one, I'd have to change the name of my show. I don't want to do that. But it's because, actually, I asked my off-world friends this question a while ago. And guess what? They still enjoy a cold one. And mixologist is a job description throughout the entire realm of fourth dimensional activity. So fear not, Big Daddy. You will enjoy your drinky poos for many years to come. Something else to consider, of course, is the stabilizing. Stabilizing of the fourth dimension. That's not exactly around the corner. 
is it? I mean, look at us. Look at us today. The social body is barely aware of the great deception. And then, of course, after the great deception, we start the cataclysm. I think we've started the cataclysm. And after cataclysm, assuming we survive it, we start to see the great awakening, which is a long and tedious process. And after that, we'll sort of morph into the great mopping up. And once that's done and we stay awake and free from Luciferian control for a few generations, we begin to stabilize and truly enter the new golden age. Where I suspect we will create and enjoy a whole new round of cocktails with higher frequency ingredients. Now, Big Daddy Oversoul, please don't double up on your drinking. No, step away from the bar. A perfectly mixed cocktail is something to be savored, not rushed. And drinking too much or drinking too fast, and especially drinking too much too fast, will upset your stomach and your liver with potentially disastrous consequences. So please don't do that. Now, Big Daddy, I have written a little magic spell for you. And if you wish, you can share this with your Wiccan friends. If you don't like them, you don't have to. So this is just for you, Big Daddy. I wrote this today. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't write this today. I wrote this a while ago, and I just think it's really appropriate for you. Okay, here we go. Lord and lady, I raise my glass to thee. I will have one drink, maybe two, but never will I have three. I feel merry when I imbibe, as I salute my earthly tribe. I hear the voices of temptation. But all is done in moderation. For my body I shall honor and my soul shall radiant be. For being drunk is such a bummer. And on that we all agree. All praise the Lord and Lady. So mote it be. Thanks for writing in Big Daddy Oversoul. I hope you have a long and prosperous life. And... Uh, I'll take this opportunity to say hello to my new favorite dive bar, the Salty Dog Bar and Grill in Walport, Oregon. I was there a few days ago and um, they have some very generous pours, um, which I wasn't able to finish. And I think that's a first. So hoorah for the Salty Dog Bar and Grill in Walport, Oregon. OK, moving on. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat with a, a sip of this most excellent cocktail. Mm. I have no idea why I have not made this cocktail before. It is so darn good. All right, let me shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. What do I have here? Mm. Ah, oh, I remember this. Okay, this is from Sandy, who says, Dear Arnie, what action should I take if I think my neighbor is abusing her dog? I can't be sure, but more often than not, I hear it whimpering and I have never seen her take it for a walk. Surely it must need to go out for exercise and for toilet duty. And it's not a small dog. The whimpering breaks my heart. Do you have any advice? Sandy, 
before making any formal complaints, I suggest taking a few deep, slow, purposeful breaths so that you'll be in a place of objectivity and calm. Um, you did say, I can't be sure, and we do have to be sure. So once your feelings are out of the way, you can deal with the facts. We never want to falsely accuse anyone just because we love our animals too much or we're easily triggered um, and find that in our heads, somehow, we have written our own narrative on the situation. I'm not suggesting that's what you've done, but more times than not, that is what we do. I have to ask you, how can you be sure she doesn't take the dog out? Are you there watching her 24-7? Kind of spooky if you are, but anyway. Does the dog whimper every day? Can you hear any voices? Can you hear the voice of the owner or another person's voice? What sort of evidence of abuse do you have or is it just neglect? I'm, I'm asking that you get your ducks in a row before taking action because there's animal cruelty, there's animal neglect, and that encompasses a whole range of behaviors. And I, I know a couple of animal cops, they do exist, uh, you know, um, most of the time neglect can be resolved through education. People buy animals and they just, they're clueless. They don't know how to deal with them. Um, so it can be anything from a lack of education to intentional cruelty, you know, depriving the animal of food, water, shelter, training, socialization, medical stuff, all the way from that to actually torturing the animal and mutilating or killing the animal. Um, so there's a whole range of behaviors that humans can, you know, harm animals with. So once you've given it serious thought, if you feel there is abuse or neglect, then you can and you absolutely should call your local police department who will direct you to the correct animal protection officer. We do have humane law enforcement officers, animal police officers. They're a thing. And they're not just pet police. They are fully trained and empowered police officers. And that's the best way to deal with it, in my opinion. We want the best for the animal, of course, but we also want the best for the human. So give it some thought, discuss it with the police, and uh, and then I'm sure they'll guide you to taking the appropriate action. And thank you for the question, Sandy. Thank you for caring, and best of luck with your situation. All right, let's take another one. And this is from Miguel, who asks, Arnie, is it time to bug out to the mountains yet? How will we know when the time is right? What will the signs be? Well, Miguel, darling, your guess is as good as mine, and your question is a little vague. Do you have a place in the mountains? If you do, is it moving ready? If so, whoopee. If not, why not? And why are we talking about bugging out to the mountains? You know, the whole point of prepping is to eliminate as much as possible the surprise element. We prep because we know anything can happen at any time. That's why we prep. That's why we prepare bug out accommodations. So on the assumption that you have a move in ready shelter with plenty of supplies. Look. I'll be honest, if I had that, if I had a place that was out somewhere away from people, 
that I could maintain good quality of life. Um, it would have to have Internet because I, I would need to work until such time as cataclysm took over. But if I had that, I would probably be there now. I'm not going to wait till it all goes to, to crap, am I? So it's difficult, Miguel, to gauge timing because the world is in the middle of a takeover. And they've started coming door to door in some places to coerce us into accepting the death jab. And several countries are pushing hard for the vaccine passport. And they're trying to make it impossible for those who don't want to die at the hands of the establishment by death jab. They're trying to make it impossible for us to engage in day to day activities. And this is horrific and it's deeply disturbing. And what will the next move be? Will it be they knock down your door and unless you're willing to shoot it out, which many people are, you know, are they going to hold you on the ground and forcibly stick you? Or will they tell you, OK, Miguel, no jab, but now you can't leave your house? You know, man, we're living in strange times. So only you can answer that question because only you know where you will draw your line in the sand. If I had the means I would have left this suburban apartment a long time ago, moved into a sparsely populated rural area when this whole fiasco started up. And if I come into a windfall, that will be my number one priority. And until then, of course, I have taken steps, as we all should, to make our homes as safe as possible, come what may. I don't know what else to tell you, Miguel. I mean, what sign are you waiting for? The signs are all around us. I would say, if you've got this place ready, go. And um, may the odds be ever in your favor, I suppose. Thanks for the question, Miguel. Let's take another one. And this is from Paleo Guy, who asks, Darlings, I'm beginning to think that some of you don't want your friends to know that you write into this show. And that's why you come up with these strange names. Um, here's, here's from Paleo Guy who says, Dear Arnie, how close are we to the entire grid collapsing? Is that the next big thing? Oh, I need a drink. And I happen to have one right here. Excuse me. Mm. OK, Paleo Guy. I don't know if it's the next big thing. Or if before that, we'll have the fake alien invasion or another fake virus from outer space or an invasion of transsexual radioactive cyber sloths or deliriously demented dinosaurs or pot smoking hippie hedgehogs or God only knows what else. But I do know this. The grid collapse is something we should always prepare for because our infrastructure is pathetic. So if you think about it, what would it look like if the entire USA grid went down all at once? The Texas grid, remember, was only minutes from complete collapse just a few months ago. And we were told it would take at least three months to repair. So if the entire grid shorts out, how long would that take to repair? A long time. And life as we know it will change drastically. No electricity, no Internet, no traffic lights, no GPS, no anything that relies on the grid. And in today's world, that is a significant percentage of day to day activity. Society as we know it will collapse. People will freeze to death. 
people will die of heat exposure. People will compete for resources, which means they will kill each other to get what they need. New world order notwithstanding, I mean, the grid is so fragile, it's going to happen at some point, whether it's manufactured or not. The grid sucks. So learn some basic low-tech skills, people, so you can maintain quality of life. That's all I can tell you, paleo guy, because I don't know, <clears throat> because I don't work for deep state, which is a good thing, you know. Anyway, thanks for the question. I'm glad you guys are interested in this sort of thing. I don't know when it's going to happen, but just plan to be ready for anything. Do the best you can. Because it's all quite surreal, isn't it? I mean, we're quite literally fighting a war between light and dark. And so many have no idea. I mean, you look about you and it doesn't really look as if there's a war. I mean, I was having lunch yesterday with friends at a brew pub, sitting in the brew garden, drinking lager, eating French fries. And it was lovely and it's it was idyllic. And yet we're fighting for our lives as sovereign beings. Curiouser and curiouser, said Alice. I wonder if the human race will evolve or devolve. When I used to read fairy tales, I fancied that kind of thing never happened. And now here I am in the middle of one, said Alice. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go said the cat. As long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. In that direction, said the cat, waving its right paw around, lives a hatter, and in that direction, waving the other paw, lives a march hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Well, darlings, I have no idea why I started spouting Alice in Wonderland, but I suppose those last lines sum up how I feel these days. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Well, I think we all know that. We all know that we chose this incarnation. <laughs> Courage, my darlings. Light always trumps dark in the end. And I guess we are in the I am enjoying the journey portion of our incarnations. All right. Let's see if we have uh, any more questions here. We do. We have more questions. We always have more questions. So uh, let's pick this one. Why not? Um this is from Omit Personal Details, who asks, Arnie, someone told me that aliens can visit heaven as tourists. Is that possible? And if so, how? Isn't it a spirit realm? Also, is it difficult for ETs from higher dimensions to actually land on Earth? Would their bodies suffer in any way? These are very good questions. Thank you, Omit. All right, let's have a think about this. With regard to heaven, it's our spirit realm. It's our other side. The level of awareness, the vibrational frequency 
on this planet with regard to its inhabitants is still relatively low. And heaven can accommodate multiple frequencies. So yes, it is possible for physical beings from higher evolved worlds to jump into their little spacecraft and vacation in heaven. We end up there in spirit form. But say you are a fifth dimensional being in physical form. Compared to our human bodies, your physical body would be light filled and able to negotiate heaven and enjoy all that heaven has to offer. Heaven is, by the way, called Nirvana by its residents, and it's a particularly beautiful heaven. It wins a lot of awards in the intergalactic pretty heaven contest. Um, you know, it's very well known for, for, for being a wonderful vacation spot full of universities and uh, Oh, just wonderful things. So, you know, that's just really how it works. Um, as to higher beings landing on Earth, well, some, not all, do have trouble with the frequency. I mean, imagine you're 10 foot tall, which some of them are compared to us. Uh, uh, they're illuminated in, experience, in, illuminated in um, appearance. And the atmosphere here, while breathable for most off-world races, it might feel thick and dense and difficult to negotiate. It's just the vibrational frequency. And to some, it feels the way it would feel to us if we had to walk slowly underwater um, or perhaps at high altitude with thin air. Different races, different environments. I do know that some of our off-world family have taken on human form. And that that's not morphing. It, it's slightly different the way they do it. Um, they do this to pass as humans, well, well clearly, uh, to adopt a human identity. And they do it with the permission of the guiding councils. Um, and they do it to positively influence and support the light agenda. Uh, they might place themselves, for example, in the military or in the private sector or in the government, which is now pretty much private sector anyway, isn't it? So they create these bodies and the off-world being practices using the body for about six months before it's comfortable inhabiting it. it. Again, it's not like putting on a flesh suit. It's kind of like that, but it's a lot more involved. We humans do not have the level of awareness to be able to do this. So these beings are highly evolved to be able to pull that off. So, you know, imagine a human being living in the equivalent of a diving suit for a couple of years at a time. We couldn't do it. And, and it's not even that. It's so much more complex than that. We, well, I couldn't do it. I mean, at the end of the day, I can't even wait to take off my bra, you know. So I can't imagine wearing a person suit. That would be unthinkable. So, yeah, good question. Thank you very much. Um, and maybe that answers, um, you know, the question we, we get a lot, which is why don't they just land en masse and take over? <clears throat> well, there's twofold. Not every race is going to be comfortable spending time in our atmosphere. And the other thing is, they're not here to rescue us. They help us, which is lovely, and probably more than we deserve at this point. 
but we are descended from them. So in effect, you know, they are helping their progeny. We're supposed to figure all this out on our own. We're supposed to be the one that throws off the Illuminati, that overthrows the dark lords and reclaims the planet. They're trying to help us, but my God, we are slow at this. Heavens to Betsy. All right. Thank you for the question. And let's take one more question. And this is a postcard from Alberta in Canada. Oh, Canada, you guys are having a very hard time. I think it's time to stop being so polite and do something about those lockdowns. This is um, from Eddie. And Eddie says, Arnie, what is the weirdest thing you have ever seen paranormal wise? Well, besides go, what's going on in Canada, Eddie? Um, <clears throat> well, the weirdest things I've ever seen are still under confidentiality agreements. And I like living, so we can discuss those at a later date. That said, let me have a think, because there are quite a few weird things I've seen. Well, I guess I'm reminded of the time I was visiting a client in hospital. And as I waited outside the MRI area, I saw just three incredibly ugly mutant beings hurtling through the wall and down the corridor. And I mean hurtling, like a portal had opened and without any choice on their part, they were shoved through it at the speed of light. So I followed them for as far as I could until I lost sight of them. But because they had a distinctive smell, which was very unpleasant, I was able to follow them out of the building. But once out in the open, I lost them again. Now, it's not the first time that I've seen odd things near MRIs, but nothing quite like these three stooges. Um, nasty little things they were. I have a sense that they were manufactured because there are beings that make other beings, um, a combination of biological matter and, um, well, what we would call transhuman, which is what the Illuminati want to do to us down the line. Um, hospitals, gosh, they're active with paranormal activity. I mean, apart from the obvious pain and suffering and anxiety and grief and all that, biological waste attracts low-level energy parasites. And when those things swarm, it's not pretty. There's some pretty icky stuff there. So thanks for the question, Eddie. And I hope you lot overthrow Trudeau soon. He may have a cute face and a nice tight butt, but he is Illuminati all the way. Well, my darlings, I think that's quack for today. Thank you to all the contributors. Keep those questions and comments coming because we started the show to hear your thoughts on life, the universe and everything in between. We want to have a safe place where we can exercise our freedom of thought and freedom of speech. Because by golly, over my dead body, all of this censorship, all of this, no, 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 we are Americans and we are going to overcome this. And the people that are forcing this on us, they are going to be so very sorry on the other side of this. Remember the Nuremberg trials? 
Remember what happened to the military, to the politicians, and also to the media and the doctors? I think we're going to see that again, hopefully sooner than later. And now, my darlings, I think we should do... Tarot, a go, go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. All right. I almost lost track because we didn't have a podcast two weeks ago, but I think we're on the five of swords. So let's pick it up and see how we feel about it. And I'm using the Robin Wood deck. Oh, and we have five swords and three men. One chap with reddish hair. He's prominent and facing the reader. And he has a sort of a nah, 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 nah expression on his face. It looks a bit immature to me, you know, in the way that insecure people who bully others look when they think they've got one over the other person. He holds a sword in his right hand, pointing downward. And he has two other swords in his left hand, casually slung over his left shoulder. And behind him, facing away from the reader, are two men who are walking away from the red-headed chap. And they appear to have left their two swords upright in the ground, as if to say, this is a waste of time, or this is a stupid game, and I'm not fighting, I'm walking away. So what do we make of this? Well... It depends on whether we relate to the red-headed chap or to the ones walking away. The whole feel of the card is that of an empty victory, an attempt at one-upmanship. I'm going to let the card transmit information to me <clears throat> while I sip my excellent cocktail. Mm. This is definitely a keeper. Mm. Yes, I'm feeling it now. Okay. I get insensitivity, selfishness, immaturity, possibly even revenge, deceit, definitely gloating, wounded pride, humiliation, there's a lot going on here. And as with all cards, it can be read in many different ways and on many different levels. You have to apply the information received to your life circumstances. For example, if you relate to the redheaded chap, is the card telling you that you're an immature, insensitive twit with a domineering attitude? Or have you rightfully severed relations with people who dealt with you unfairly? If you relate to the chaps who surrendered their weapons and walked away, did you do so because you were exposed and humiliated? Or are you walking away because you have no desire to work with a domineering personality? So this card cautions us to consider carefully how we play the game of life. It advises us to be objective and to keep our pride in check, 
to keep the false alter ego in check, to accept our limitations and to seek to improve ourselves. In life, we sometimes want something so much that we go for it, all gung-ho, stomping like a charging rhinoceros without considering the feelings of others. But do the means justify the end? And what is the true cost of victory? Was it worth it? Now, I find that sometimes this card comes up when our minds are muddled, usually by listening to too many points of view. So it's time to step back and review. You have enough information. Now it's time to make some sense of it. Come to your own conclusion. Deceit comes up strong with this, doesn't it? Um, as if perhaps someone in your tribe or team is not being entirely honest with you. And you can take a look at the court cards, if any, surrounding this card for clues. Because court cards represent people, right? Right. I know you know that. Let's reverse the card and see if it changes anything for us. You know, it could go either way. Either, either. Yep. It could mean you're vindicated of wrongdoing and that the treachery of others is exposed. Hurrah. But it could also mean the situation is much worse than in the upright position. I mean, real serious treachery and deceit. Someone is really out to get you. Um, a touch of paranoia there. So in other position, check your motives, explore the motives of those you're involved with. Are they honorable? Hmm. The five of swords suggests that maybe not so much. Now, my darlings, I do have to say to you that if you have a casual interest in the tarot, Drop me a line because I'm still offering 10 one hour lessons for the ridiculous price of 250 American dollars. If you want to go into it in depth, go to my website and go to the tarot page because I have a slightly more advanced and detailed um, curriculum there for tarot. But either way, give me a call. And if you want to learn more about tarot, it is one of my more fun activities. I do enjoy tarot. Okay, what should we do now? I don't know. Let's do the kazoo. I added an extra note there. You know what? Let's do weird and wacky tidbits, strange and often surreal bites from the anus of history. All right, let me uh, gather up some of these 10,000 little post-it pads I have all over my desk. And let's see what we've got. <clears throat> ah, Canada. Canada eats more macaroni and cheese than any other nation in the world. I did not know that. And now that I know this, my life will never be the same. What was I looking at the other day? Oh, here is this. Yes, John Quincy Adams. I was reading about him. Um. A French general gifted John Quincy Adams a pet alligator. 
Adams kept it in one of the White House bathtubs and enjoyed showing it off to friends. Well, I'm assuming it was a very small alligator or the White House had very, very big bathtubs. And that was interesting. Not mind-blowing, but interesting. And I was chatting with a friend of mine the other day who is an animal intuitive. Uh, good for her because she can talk to animals. But she says to me, you know, snakes can predict earthquakes. They can sense earthquakes coming from almost 100 miles away and days before it happens. And and to that, my response is, well, how wonderful. Um, so unless you speak parcel mouth, how the heck are you going to get this information from the snake? I mean, of course, it can feel an earthquake. It crawls on its belly. It feels everything that's going on in planet Earth. Um, so, you know, unless you can put some sort of translation device on the snake where it'll come up to you and go, hey, Arnie, there's going to be an earthquake in five days. Um, that's interesting information, but it doesn't help me. All right. Moving on. Somebody sent me this the other day. Um, it's about McDonald's because we don't like McDonald's. We think they have very bad food. We don't like the way it's prepared. We don't like the fact that there's something like 20 ingredients in their bacon, where if you eat bacon, really the only ingredient should be pork and salt. But anyway, McDonald's thought that they would um, try to promote a more nutritious, healthy menu, especially for children. So they had a meeting and their CEO, I think it's Don, Don Thompson, he said we should give children smaller portions of French fries and we should give them milk, which isn't actually healthy, by the way, but OK. Um, and we should give them broccoli. But here's the thing. We know from the Powerpuff Girls that children don't eat broccoli unless it's covered in cheese sauce. So McDonald's had this wonderful idea of re-engineering broccoli so that it tasted like bubble gum. And I don't know if I've heard anything stupider in my life, but here we go. So they did it on all the test groups and um, they, they concocted this candy flavored cruciferous vegetable. Um, it didn't taste good. What a surprise. And even the children who tested it said they were very confused by green broccoli tasting like bubble gum. And um, not surprising, but it was just not a success. Um, they've had a lot of ideas, McDonald's, and a lot of them weren't successful. Apparently, the not really chorizo chorizo burrito was also, you know, not a success, probably because it wasn't really a chorizo. But there we go. That's just my opinion. Moving on, I was uh, doing a little bit of research here and there the other day, and I came across this juicy little tidbit as uh, I try to learn a fact about America every day. Um, it can be trivia, but I try to learn something every day. Did you know, my darlings, there is only one letter that does not appear in any one U.S. state name? Can you guess which letter that is? I'll count backwards from five, four, three, two, one. No? Well, I'll tell you. It's Q. <laughs> Hurrah for Q. Okay. What else do I have here? 
with my weird and wacky tidbits. Oh, Johnny Appleseed. I am a while ago. I wanted to know, you know, if these people like Johnny Appleseed really existed. And and he did. And his name was John Chapman. And he planted thousands of apple trees on U.S. soil. But that type of apple tree that he planted, you wouldn't want to eat because they were tiny and they were tart. And the locals called them spitters, probably because if you ate one, you spat it out. But you know what they were good for? Yes, hard cider. So hoorah for Johnny Appleseed, a real person who liked cider, and cider is wonderful. Here's another little tidbit. Have you ever been to Chicago? I've been to Chicago. It's a very big city. Is it windy? Well, I went in the winter. It was freezing cold, and it was very windy. But that's not why Chicago's called the Windy City. People weren't describing the weather. In the 19th century, some journalists were writing about Chicago, and they gave it that designation because they were criticizing the city's elite as people who were full of hot air and wind. So if you go back to the Chicago Daily Tribune back in 1858, you'll see that somebody wrote a hundred militia officers from corporal to commander air their vanity in this windy city. And other reporters followed suit. And before we know it, everybody was talking about how lazy the police force was in Chicago, how free from good morals they were. And, uh, you know, basically it was a mob city and it was the windy city of the West because everybody was full of hot air, windbags, people with inflated egos who cared about nothing but profit. Now, who is the current mayor of Chicago? <laughs> is it Laurie Lightfoot? Is she full of hot air? Well, I suppose... Being windy is obviously a Chicago tradition. All right, here's a little something, um, something interesting I picked up from my gun shop the other day. Armadillo shells are bulletproof. Well, isn't that exciting? How do we know this? Well, one Texas man was hospitalized when a bullet he shot at an armadillo ricocheted off the animal and hit him in the jaw. And jolly good thing, too. Why would you shoot an armadillo? What was it trying to do? I know they're omnivores, but they mainly eat insects and lava. So what the heck, man? I mean, if you go around shooting at armadillos, you deserve to have it ricochet and hit you in the jaw. So and I don't know up to what caliber the armadillos are bulletproof. But please, people, don't go out there and try. That's really mean. All right. What else do I have here? Ah, did you know? And this is true. This is true. The longest English word is 189,819 letters long. I'm not going to spell it out and I'm not going to read it um, because it would take three and a half hours to say out loud. Now, why would we have such a long word? Um, well, medicine, of course, 
science, of course. The, the shortened version for it is Titan, but it's T-I-T-I-N. And it won't appear in any dictionary, this word, because it would take 12 full pages to write it out. But why it's so long is because of the way that protein names are generated. So international guidelines tell scientists that a protein's technical title has to list every single amino acid found inside it. And even the smallest proteins contain about 20 amino acids, and they're pretty long names in their own right. However, <clears throat> the, the long word that we have shortened to titan is the body's largest protein with a total amino acid count of 34,350. And to spell out each of those acid names in a row, well, you're going to get a really long word. So, wow, isn't that something? I had absolutely no idea. And I was researching the war, the World War One, the other day, because, you know, you've got to do something with your life, you know, and investigating trivia. Lovely pastime. Um, Kleenex tissues, they weren't originally for your nose. No. See, in World War One, there was a cotton shortage. And Kimberly Clark, they developed a thin, flat cotton substitute that the army was testing out to use as a filter in their gas masks. But the war ended before scientists perfected that material for the gas mask. So the company thought, my God, we've got all this stuff. What should we do with it? It's a bit rough. And then they decided to make it smoother and softer. And then they marketed it as Kleenex, a facial tissue. So something we've learned um, not to live without. That's interesting. I thought it was anyway. All right. Um, oh, yes, this one's about farting. <laughs> Always interesting. So there's a word we use a lot in the UK. I don't know if you, we use it here. I, it's to fizzle. So if something's fizzling out, it's losing its energy, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, it's losing energy. It's losing strength. But it comes from the 1400s where that word meant to break wind quietly. So if you farted, and no one could hear you, you fizzled. Of course, they might not, the aroma might give you away, but even if it was smelly, it was still a fizzle. So that's something new I've learned. So I'm never going to break wind anymore. I'm always going to fizzle. And one more little tidbit that I, I, I liked a lot. Um, I always wondered why when we went to the movies, do you remember those days when we used to go to movies? You know, people would congregate together and go to the movies and buy ridiculously expensive ice lollies and popcorn and stuff. Well, I always wondered why trailers were called trailers, because they came before the movie. And if something trails, it comes after, doesn't it? Well, apparently, movie trailers did originally play after the movie. They trailed the film. And I guess what they did is they put it before because... You're going to, you've got, you're there to watch the movie, right? So you've got a captive audience. So no one's going to go away. And so just sell, let them sit through all of those trailers first and then they can watch the movie. And I think one more little tidbit before we wrap up for today. Tomatoes, another one of my favorite fruits. 
So Europeans initially were scared of eating tomatoes when they were introduced. So the seeds came to Europe, what, um, 1519-ish, and they were used as ornamentals in gardens. But by the 1700s, you know, aristocrats, of course, because they always want to be hippie and, you know, hipster, actually, and trendy, they started eating tomatoes, but then they died. People would eat tomatoes. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. But people would eat tomatoes and they would drop dead. And so people thought, oh, my God, don't eat tomatoes. They're poisonous. But in reality, <clears throat> it wasn't the tomato. It was the acidity from the tomato. It brought out the lead in the pewter plates that the aristocracy were using. So they didn't die of tomato poisoning. They died of lead poisoning. Now, isn't that exciting? I mean, that's interesting. That's useful. I remember back in the day when I was a kid, though, we, we, we had aluminum bowls and we were always told don't put tinned tomatoes in those bowls and then eat the tomatoes. So there we go. That all makes sense. Well, my gosh, my darlings. I mean, I was just going to say that is fascinating. This is probably one of the most fascinating shows I've ever done. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Look, we're getting really close to wrapping up here. I just want to, you know, remind everyone, as if you need reminding, that there are lines in the sand that have to be drawn. Everyone who values soul sovereignty, national sovereignty, planetary sovereignty, cannot have failed to see, especially here in America, that this puppet administration of New World Order wants to stop you from having an original thought. And they want to, they actually want to ban the word patriot. They want to make being a patriot a hate crime. This is true and serious, and it's what they want to do. They want to label anybody who questions the official narrative a domestic terrorist. That's not going to happen on our watch, is it, people? No, it's not. So, my darlings, with that delightful thought, I'm going to wrap it up for today and say I've finished my drink, and that always means the end of the show. And to cheer you up, today's real-life cocktail was a summertime special Waikiki Martini, and here's how you make it. Six parts pineapple-flavored vodka. I'm using Chiroc today. One part dry vermouth. I'm using Dolan today one part Lille Blanc, and a fresh pineapple wedge for dressing. Combine your liquid ingredients into a cocktail shaker filled with cracked ice and give it a good hard shake. Strain and pour into a chilled martini glass. Dress it with a pineapple wedge and sip slowly and pretend you're naked on a Hawaiian beach. Now, just as an aside, you can get vodka that is made from pineapples, and it's very nice but it's not the same as pineapple-flavoured vodka. Now remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top-quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was a Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. God bless America. And until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human.
You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you.